Hey, this is Shop Talk number 258, where we're broaching the subject of ethics in design. We have a couple of guests on that have done lots of thinking, writing, publishing, tweeting uh, about ethics in design. It's a big, important thing. It's something that, as we'll learn in this episode, our industry is sadly in the kind of baby stages of even understanding and and being on the same page about. And uh, there's lots of, to discuss. There's big things. There's little things. There's uh, there's there's so much to it, and uh, they're going to guide us through that, and Dave and I are going to kind of ask them questions and get answers. It's something that we uh, have dabbled in many times here on, on Chop Talk Show and wanted to do a dedicated episode towards. So this show is brought to you by An Event Apart, who do conferences all around the U.S. this year. I'm going to be speaking at a lot of them. P- please come visit me. I'm doing workshops at some of them, too. Uh, I'd love to see you there. They're fantastic web design conferences. Uh, and Rollbar, who, who does air tracking for your website, which is uh, an extremely important concept. So we'll tell you more about both those things later in the show. For now, Dave, please kick things off. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Chris, hey, as you can all see, because you're listening to it probably on your phone or something, and you've clicked to listen to this show, congratulations, because you're about to get smarter. You're about to get learned up and some stuff. The the title, barring anything weird happening in the show, is going to be called Ethics and Design, which we're going to be talking about exactly that. And we have two excellent guests for you to talk about that. Uh, uh, Let's introduce them quick. We have Mike Montiero. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you? Fantastic. Hi. And uh, uh, who was whose whose time was generously volunteered by one of the the, the, the staff at Fuel Design. Thanks, uh, Miguel. And and Robin Canner. Hey, Robin. Hello. How's everyone doing? Fantastic. Good. Good. Uh, this show came to be. Uh, in a sense, not only because of that email that we got, but also because it it this it comes up regularly. And who emailed you? Uh it was it was it was Miguel, right? It was when Miguel. I have... Miguel. Yeah. I, w- I want to say his name because he's probably going to show this to his mom. He's going to make his mom <laughs> listen. <laughs> and I want to make yeah. sure that she hears his name a lot. It was Miguel. Hey, Miguel. Uh, <laughs> it was. Um, a really well written email too. I have to say, which is just no wonder you hired Miguel. He's he's very polite. He's also an incredibly good developer, but he's also very polite. Very important. There's a difference though between politeness and ethics. Maybe we'll get to that in a moment. Ooh, it, you know it comes up regularly on the show, but we're not. Um, I don't know. It's 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 never been the focus of an entire show. And one of them was because I think we had. I think it was Melanie who wrote in and said like, whose job was it that day when they like removed the judicial branch from the White House website or whatever? Wasn't it a developer who had to like make that code change and push it? And was that an ethical move for them? Yes, uh, of did. Course was yeah it's a human thing yes um so i i don't know if that's the best possible place to start maybe we should learn a little bit about youtube before we get into it all robin what's your place in the world (laughs) well i live in seattle and i uh am an art director here and i uh i co-founded and designed this resource called my trans health which is a guided search designed to help you get access to quality health care if you're trans fantastic that's mytranshealth.com uh, Mike, your place in the world? I am the design director at Mule Design in San Francisco. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. That's what I do. I have a dog. <laughs> I got a dog, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and are, are a prolific writer. And in fact, a lot of people know you from the book Design is a Job. They know from conference. That's how I know you from being at some of the same conferences here and there where. That's right. Uh huh. We met at a conference. Absolutely. And, and just a lot of stuff. From, Mike's a very powerful speaker, if you haven't seen him. I suggest speaking, you know, looking if there's any online. I don't even know if there is, but there's. You're, you're too kind. 
like there's, for example, there's this, you know, in one of Mike's hit talks, there was, there's like a, there was like a line and I think you put it something like this, like one cigarette ad in your portfolio is a youthful digression, but a whole, you know, like a dozen of them says something differently, right? Don't you, isn't that from one of your talk? It's a love letter to the tobacco industry, if I remember correctly. <laughs> what does that, what does that mean? Does it mean that doing design work for a cigarette ad company is, is possibly a, an ethical boundary? That... Oh, it's absolutely unethical. Um, but I mean, what that means is that, you know, nobody has, I, I can't think of any single person in the world who has like a clean slate on ethics. Every once in a while, you're going to come upon, you're going to have to make, you know, less than ideal choices in your life. And you might have to take, you might have to do a cigarette ad just, you know, so, you, so your family doesn't starve. I get that. The, the problem becomes when you, when that becomes how you earn your living. I mean, I, I get that you might, you know, especially coming up in the design field, that you're you're not always going to be able to pick amazing choices, but you pick the best choices that you can, and you're you're always aware of what those choices mean. That's all I'm really telling telling people. Like awareness. Yeah, be aware. Be aware of what this thing that you're making, uh, uh, what the effect that this thing that you're making has. There was a there's another one that, that that came up that feels related to 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 this type of thing. I saw it from a, a tweet by Ethan that where I believe he just wrote no and then a link and the the, the link was to uh, a Miami design firm that had this really great idea of how they could basically make Trump's wall like I think Dave put it the Great Mall instead. It was beautiful shipping containers and shopping and, and all this stuff. It was like uh, sustainable xenophobia. Yeah. I, believe I actually, I talk about those assholes in my new talk. Uh, and, and I mean, what's the new talk? Uh, the new talk is called, thank you for asking. Uh, it's called how to fight fascism. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to Seattle next week to give it there. And Robin, you going to be there? I will be there. I can't wait. Cool. So Robin's going to be there. She'll t she'll she'll be honest and tell you if it sucks. That I will. Yeah, uh, but you know it's about it, you know it's about things like this. It it, it really is an, an ethics talk wrapped in a in a clever title. Um, what do you think but, about that, Robin? When you when a, when a, is like is offering to do design work for certain types of companies like inherently unethical? Uh. Hmm. I don't know if it's offering to do design work because you really get hired to do it. But uh, I do think like there is like a there's a core foundation that you have to figure out when you start designing, right? Like you can go through classes that can teach you how typing color works, but when it comes down to like really understanding the goals of whatever you're doing, like being you know involved in those conversations help you understand what you're going to be doing and like how it gets used in the world, right? Um, and that seems like a very core foundational thing of a designer. Um, so when I think, like, we talk about ethics in design as, like, um, potentially, like, a newer thing that people are talking about just because of the political landscape in it of itself, it's actually, it's a pretty one-on-one -on -one core concept of, like, what you want your stuff to be used in, in the world. And um, I think it's important to ask those questions when you're in the middle of an interview. Say, like, you are going to work for a very large tech company, figuring out, like, the types of things that you're going to be doing and how it's actually going to be used. Um, so that just that's just a foundational thing of you as a person that you got to figure out. Whatever, man. I just want to design stuff. Like, why does it? It's not just designing stuff, right? Like, this is like an actual thing. Like, it's to you know, it's to be a designer is such a deep, responsible um, career that you really need to like, consider all these types of things that come with it. It's not just like, I want to make something look pretty and put it on dribble. Like that's not what design is. Um, design is actually influencing how, you know, sometimes how strangers interact with each other or how strangers interact with objects. Um, and you got to be able to take responsibility for those decisions. Uh, so I was I was kind of fake quoting. It looks like an article Mike just wrote yesterday and published with the with the whatever I just want to design. Which there's another there's another quote. You are responsible for what you put into the world. Is that what we're getting at? That's it. I mean, like I remember uh, back in like 2013, I think is when I started talking with Mike, and uh, I was working at this company that like just wasn't really that great. And I was coming off of like a bunch of other things and like I emailed Mike and I was like, I don't know, you know, what I'm doing here. 
And he was like, well, it sounds like, A, you got to leave this city, but also that, like, you just got to be really cognizant of what you're doing and, like, what the end goal is. Like, I've worked at corporations the majority of my life, but while I'm doing that, I'm, like, very cautious of how that work is used in the real world. And I'm also, like, leveraging my place in the room to make it better, too. Um, and it's it's a dance, right? Like, sometimes you, like, fight that battle for a really long time and it's worth it. Sometimes you fight that battle for a short amount of time and you make the influence that you can, but you're ultimately comfortable with leaving. Um, it's super situational on how you're able to take responsibility in your, in your design work. I have a, there's, it, it, this is such a big topic that, that, that there's some extremes on either end of it that I like, it, it's, I don't know, sometimes I get not necessarily confused by, but they seem like sometimes they're put together and they shouldn't be. For example, I just read an article about confirm shame. I think you've all probably seen this thing, whether you are aware of the, the new word for it or not. Confirmed? And it's like, a, what the hell is that? It's like one of those modal, like a modal pops up, right? You're shopping for dog food. And it says like, you should get our email newsletter about, about dog food. And the only way you can close it is to say, I don't care about dogs. Oh. All right. So it's a dark pattern. It's a dark pattern. And let's, let's substitute the word dark pattern. Any dark pattern in the world is, is, kind of like a sucky thing, right? It's like it's bad, it's tricking people into it. But maybe like just because some copy wrote it, writer wrote a, a a link that says I don't like dogs is a little different than a design decision that literally like affects people's yeah. life and health. Absolutely. I mean, that stuff I mean, that stuff you roll your eyes and you think, "Oh god, that's annoying." And then you click it and it goes away and you go on with your life. You know, the the stuff that I'm thinking, this, and you know that gets that stuff's not going to go away. And it's it's not necessarily ethics, then, right? I think we have a note here that's like, is it is it is essentially, and feel free to beep this or shady or, you know, it's (laughs) it's manipulative, right? I mean, that's all they're trying to do is they're trying to manipulate you into clicking on the thing they want you to click on, and you know, it's not great, but it's also, I mean, that's not where I'm going to plant my flag. Yeah, nobody dies about that. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Where you're going to plant your flag is elsewhere. You know, your... the things the things that 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 get that have my attention right now. Uh, do you see the story about Uber and Grayball? No, I missed. It. So I Uber's not in the best light right now, but they like scrubbed their data that they were presenting to the government, like to basically falsify their their. I don't even know impact or something. So yeah, I mean that's that's part of it. Uh, so if and this this happened in Portland. One, Portland was one of the places this happened in, and I was talking to a bunch of people up there uh, about the Uber situation when I was there last week. So uh, Uber has a sketchy history in Portland, along with many other places, but especially in Portland, they di- they didn't want them there, and. Uh, so they they had you know they had committees and, and you know government not gov- uh, city government agencies and you know uh, public health agencies and shit like that like checking out what was actually going on with Uber on Uber rides and Uber fig- tried to figure out who these people were so when these people would call for a car they would be presented with a false set of information in the app. Wow, or the car would come extra fast, or be an extra good car, or something. Or, or they were told there were no cars available. Uh, oh, Mike, opposite. I, yeah, Mike Isaac wrote uh, a a great piece about this in the New York Times. If you if you Google Uber or Grayball, uh, New York Times, you'll find it. But I mean, it's basically I mean, it's presenting a false set of information for a segment of the population, and in this case, specifically, a segment of the population whose concern was public welfare. That's some shady sh**. Some programmer in this case, or, or whatever, who knows? Maybe they were told to do this. Maybe they did it themselves. Maybe there's a whole conspiracy. But they made a choice to write code that affected the actual people's lives, the ability to get somewhere. It's deeper than that, though. It's, just more, it's more than just one person wrote that piece of code, right? It's like a manager signed off on that, a director signed off on that. Right. That went through multiple loops. Multiple people touch this thing. Designers, developers, engineers, project managers, 
business business managers. I I don't know how projects get done on, on at Uber, but it takes more than one person, and they you know they don't get done in a. I assume it's not one person in a dark room in the basement hiding out by themselves and then secretly launching something onto the site while, you know, making an evil villain laugh. That's why these stories are are as rightfully as big as they are is because it's indicative of a culture of unethic. Right? The people that I'm trying to talk to, the people whose work I'm trying to affect are, you know, mostly designers because that's that's the profession that I know. That's the profession that I'm in. I, I'm, I'm, ethics isn't taught in school. Ethics is not taught in design school. There may be a couple of cases here and there that are the exception, but overall, it's not something that you learn when you're learning to be a designer. So you get a lot of people who, who, who say, oh, I just want to design stuff. Or you get a lot of people who take these jobs and they're given these, these projects to do. And they don't do an ethical test on the on the project because they've never been told that an ethical test was part of the process or you know they and, and you know some of them may be like wait a minute something here seems sort of fishy and they take it to their manager and their manager is like do it and then they have no backup last year i gave a talk at the AIGA uh about uh their uh, about how we needed them to be backup for designers when they were put in this situation. And I mean, nothing's happened with that. It's really hard to make these calls when you're like starting out your career as a designer, when you're like one of a few people in the field and in your company, and there's no, there's nobody that you can appeal to. It seems like if you say no, you could be really potentially damaging your immediate life and potential what if you're what if you say no and you're fired and you're blacklisted from working at other places and you're like god this is just one little thing why don't i just say yes instead of being a squeaky wheel on this? exactly that's i mean and that's and that's the choice that people end up making and there's several reasons why they make that choice uh all the way from i want to make sure i can keep feeding my family to all the way down to well i i just don't give a f- I'll do whatever they want me to. Those those people at that end of the spectrum, the the I don't care, I'll do whatever. Uh, I, I can't help those people because they don't want to be helped. Uh, the people who I'm trying to help are the people who might not be aware that this is actually a, a needed core competency, competency to be a designer. Because nobody ever told them that. And, and nobody ever taught them that. Some Sometimes... So, you know, like, would you say that that's like a, a, a tricky issue? I mean, the, now hopefully they're, they're hearing it, you know, they're hearing it on the show, they're hearing it from your talks, they're hearing, hopefully the, the word spreads wider than that. And it becomes a thing like ethics is a, is a virtue, is a value, is it's important. Hopefully you get back up on this thing. Hopefully you're not put into these tricky situations. Well, it's yes and no, because I don't think it's a virtue. I think it's core. So let's, let's think about other professions. Like lawyers, for example, it's so there's there's a, a really defined line on where a lawyer starts doing unethical work, and if you find that a lawyer has done unethical work, there's there's an organization that you appeal to, to 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 uh, mm-hmm. report that lawyer. It's not subjective, right? They either they either broke the law or not. Well, it's 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 more nuanced than that. I mean, but there's a there there's there's no argument that ethics are part of a lawyer's job, and there's no there's no discussion about what happens when a lawyer is found out to be uh, not doing that job. Same with a doctor. Like when you go to see a doctor, you expect that doctor to behave ethically, right? I mean, this is like the old joke where I wake up at the dentist's office with my pants around my ankle after I've been, after I've been gassed. It just doesn't happen, and there's no debate about it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And if it happened, it would freak you out. So, I mean, all of these, all of these professions have a set of ethics that are, cont- that are you know, defined as part of that job. And th- these professions definitely do have arguments about ethics, 
but they're like six levels beyond what designers are arguing about. Designers are arguing about whether ethics are important. You know, in science, we're arguing about, you know, what are the ethics of creating like, uh, like this, this sort of weird thing out here. But, but nobody's debating whether ethics belong in the profession or not, which is where we are with design. If you were, if you were going to rough draft, like a, a ethics and design document or uh, well, constitution, what would it, what would it be? Well, uh, I have rough drafted that. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> how handy! Uh, I have a, I have an outline. I have a, an entire outline for uh, a book that I'm hoping to write. That I, that I am, I am going to write about this. And what you've begun to see are uh, the last couple of articles that I've written are uh, like exhibition games for that book. And this is on your your blog, Dear Design Student, uh, which is kind of a corporate blog, but you it's, post a it's lot. It's not a corporate blog um, at all. What do you mean it's a corporate blog? <laughs> it's like corporate well, blog. Right? I, I mean corporate corporate in the like multiple people contribute to it sense, like a, it, almost like a boing boing of. It's sorts. a group blog, yeah, um, yeah, a group yeah. blog. Um, and then, uh, but so there's a and Dear Design Student is kind of like targeted towards you know like design students, people who are learning the the craft, the the trade. And I think, yeah, your last three or four posts about this are, are all ethics related. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff in Dear Design Student is like for sure for design students, but it's for people who are like, you know, one to five years into their career too. And I'm still working through that. Um, I, I think the knowledge expands beyond just I'm a senior in college. Um, I think one thing too, though, to consider too, when it comes to like these ethical conversations in design is where you're able to start to poke holes in companies to figure out like, uh, how ethical they're going to be with you. Um, I know a lot of the times in design interviews, you'll get stuck in a whiteboarding session. Um, and those whiteboarding sessions are a really good time for you to start poking questions into how they're going to deal with ethics. Um, and you can start to kind of like make your place within the company so that they know if they give you that offer, you're going to be um, questioning a lot of the things that they do. Yeah, I, that's a really great point, Robin. And and that's one of the things that I'm, that's one of the things that's on the list is, is how to, t- is how to turn a, a, a job interview around so that you're finding out what you need about the company that you're interviewing with or the client or the client that you're interviewing with. If you know, you're a freelancer or a contractor or whatever. I remember I was in this uh, interview uh, like a year and a half ago or something with this tech company. And uh, it was a whiteboarding session where they were like, talk to me about the UX for creating an app for like people who like do motorbiking together or whatever. Um, and it like, basically the concept was that like you get a group of strangers to come out to the woods and you like mountain bike through the woods or whatever together. And like halfway through the conversation, after I like worked out the core UX of how it would work, I would be like, all right, well, let's talk about safety. And they'd be like, what? And I'd be like, well, you're putting strangers in the woods together. So how are we going to design for their safety in this interaction? I've seen that movie. That, that oh. stuff matters. Like, and yeah. it was a totally shifted of conversation too, because it went from like, how do like we make sure that they have a good time to how can we make sure that like, if we put women and men and non-binary people together in the woods and like, they're like potentially having like rough cell phone service, like how can they all be okay? Like that's the important conversation to have. Right. And I mean, this is, this is one of, I mean, this is why, I mean, you, Robin has been invaluable to me because I have so many blind spots when it comes to this stuff. Like I'm trying to think really hard about all of these ethical concerns, but I'm a white dude and I have blind spots that I don't know about. And, you know, like I'll have a conversation with Robin about something and he'll, and she'll find like, like 50 stupid things that, that I said, and like a hundred things that I didn't even think of. And And similar, I have like a million blind spots. So I'm consistently asking people too. like, I think being open to them is really important. Turns out talking is pretty cool. Yeah. and, And I mean, this is, this is the original sin of Silicon Valley 
I mean, one of the easiest ways to start be doing more, I mean, to doing your work more ethically is just to make sure that the team who's doing the work mirrors more closely the, 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 the people who that work is affecting. If you've got, if you've got a team of, you know, 10 white dudes who went to Stanford working on, you know, uh, safety policy at Twitter. Well, we saw where that ends, right? And it's funny too. Like I think, uh, I think designers, when they're going to approach problems and they want to use research, uh, it's, it's so difficult for them to figure out how to get the right research, right. For whatever project that they're working on. Um, I remember when we first launched my trans health, one of the things that somebody said to me was like, wow, it's really fast. Like I go from like site to like you have providers like on your screen in about 20 seconds. And they're like, wow, that's really fast. And I was like, yeah, that's because I was a cam girl at the time. And when I wanted to figure out how it was working or not, I sent the links to other cam girls within the community. And I was like, hey, you're probably like the person most likely to use this thing. Can you tell me what you think of it? And like one of the person like played with like a prototype and she was like, took too long, got to go by. And I was like, oh, okay, I got to make this thing a lot faster now. So, but you don't, you don't read that in a design book, right? But like looking for those moments is really important when it comes to like being able to make ethical design decisions um, and be like really cognizant of actual people. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by An Event Apart. The premier web conference there is. They're, um, they're dotted out all across the U.S. and dotted out across the 2017 calendar. So it opened up in Seattle April 3rd through 5th. You probably missed that one. That sucks. But come to Boston next, May 15th through 17th. It's also coming to D.C. in the summer, Chicago in the summer, in the fall, San Francisco in the winter, Denver, a special edition long one. It's going to be awesome. I'm speaking at most of these. Come visit me there. I'm giving a, a, a workshop at some of them, no matter what. The workshop is called A Day Apart, and there's always one at all the events. Really, really, you know, full day, deep dive stuff that's going to be fantastic. Uh, uh, it's just one of my favorite web conferences. Lots of big ideas come from that. Go back and listen to the Finding a, a Big Idea episode we had with Crystal Higgins and Una Kravitz, where we talk about Event Apart and, and the big ideas that come from it uh, and stuff like that. There's a, you know, if you need to convince your boss, there's sections. If you go to eventapart.com, there's things for that. You can find all about the pricing and what it's like and look at pictures from past events just to get yourself riled up for how awesome it's going to be. Thanks so much for Event Apart for sponsoring, and I hope to see you all there. I wonder if we could cover some, like, sometimes these ethical questions are tricky, right? And sometimes they're not. I wonder if we could start with the ones that are not. Like, what, what what's a clear, like, I think that one, you, the mountain biking one is a clear example of, of a time when not dealing with safety at all in that app would have been a, poor ethical choice. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it's easy to talk about like tr tr tricky issues or I don't know if it's easy to talk about, but isn't there like, as long as we're talking about this constitution of ethics, what are some clear violations of the constitution of ethics? Uh, let's go one by one. Um, I'll take one. Then you take one. I would say that the clear violation uh, is if somebody dies, that's like the core thing for me. Um, I probably, ask myself that every day when I'm working on something. Um, Can I kill like? somebody with this design or code or whatever? Or really kill somebody if it's in somebody else's hands. Yeah, I mean, does does this work put someone in danger? Okay. And if the answer is anywhere close to yes, then you're in, you're violating this constitution. Or I mean, a, a couple months ago, uh, Tinder started adding people's place of employment to their profiles. I, I, I don't use the app, uh, but this is something I read about. Uh, and I don't know if they've gotten rid of it since then, but I mean, you can, if, if, if you've ever been stalked in your life, you, you, and, and somebody says, Hey, let's put your place of, let's put where you work in your Tinder profile. You, you immediately start saying, no, that's, that's a horrible idea. But if this thing is being designed by a group of by a group of people who've never had that experience, it never occurs to you. 
so the danger here being that you find somebody on a dating app, you they said no to you, but whatever, you're you're looking right at their face, right on this little screen, and be like, oh, they work at the the bank downtown. I know right where they are. Yeah, and I mean that that place where they work might be like my company here. We've got eight people. I mean, if 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 it says, hey, I work at Mule, you can come in here and you can find that person pr- pretty quickly, and that's. I mean, you can, you know, be waiting outside when they leave work. What do you imagine that conversation was like at the table? Do you think it was totally oblivious? Or was it like, there's some people aren't going to like this, but we're going to do it anyway because the net gain is there or something? No, no. I I imagine it just went, let's put place of employment on here because we can. And somebody else went, cool. But it wasn't there at first. So isn't that weird? Yeah. Well, I think it was a class thing. Um, I think on some level they were trying to match each other with class, um, which is like, like your social cast, social cast, the salary that you make. Um, I think it puts you in the same bracket of things. Um, I think on some level that they probably thought that, uh, adding these things would eliminate more people kind of trolling people. Cause they'd be like, Oh, well if they show where they work, they're less likely to troll. Um, but they didn't see it from the, well, they're, could still be people hurt. Like they, uh, maybe they, they convinced themselves that this would actually stop bad right. behavior. Right. Yeah, you'll never know because we don't get to see these conversations, but it doesn't matter what they thought, right? It matters what the implications of their actual choice actually was. Right. I mean, half of the, half of the unethical that goes on the web is done with the best of intentions. I mean, that's, that's maybe an, an important point to make. The, the difference between lack of ethics and evil is pretty significant. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. Some of these things that are done, you know, unethically are done with the best of intentions. I wonder about incentives, you know, can, you, can, we, can, we, can we find a way to make this, you know, to incentivize companies to do, to, to, can there be a company? Can, could Mule Design pivot into a kind of like a, an, an ethics consulting company that big companies would pay money for? Or is the incentive not theirs? I think that would make me an alcoholic in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's like, it's such a core concept. Like with Mike was talking about earlier, like lawyers, scientists, these are all professions that are already there. It's kind of, it's astonishing that designers aren't like, this is petrifying. Do you remember? Do you remember the beginning days of the web when you would put, you know, you do a project, you'd, everybody would design everything, they'd build anything, and then we'd bring in usability people. It was different. Now we do that first. Is that right? right? Yeah, I mean, you have to do you. If it's not there from day one, it's not there. I mean, and and we've you know we've recently you know been rediscovering this about design. If it if if you don't consider how something is designed from the beginning, you can't strap it on afterwards. Right. And it's the same with ethics. I mean, if if it's something is not being designed or 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 okay or okayed or developed or put into production by people with a strong ethical core, you can't strap them on afterwards. And I think it's really important, too, to have this conversation. I mean, we should be having this conversation years and years ago, and there definitely were designers who were doing that. But uh, I think as tech moves into a space where its core experiences revolve around strangers interacting with strangers, like there's got to be a lot of people considering what those moments look like. Um, it's not as simple as, well, this person needs a thing and this person has a thing. Like there, there's a lot of intricacies to that. Yeah, we've come a long way from, you know, brochure websites and, you know, did you see the story? Did you see the story last week about the smart vibrator? No. <laughs> Tell me more. So, so you can buy you can buy a smart vibrator, kids. And it and then somebody else like uses the accelerometer on their phone to, to Right. So, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the use case here is you're in Seattle. I'm in San Francisco and I can fire up my phone app and, you know, I can play with the settings on your vibrator. Seems ethically fine. To no, me, it's, you know? Maybe it's, it, it seems absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I love it when people have fun. That's not the yeah. point. <laughs> it got hacked. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so there's some, uh, there's people playing with some... <laughs> Naughty spaces and other people's bodies, maybe. Right, it got hacked, and I mean, you can go into other people's vibrator, and maybe that's fun too. But all of a sudden, all of 
all of this personal data around your vibrator and who was who was uh oh it, that's worse like the metadata of of right. who's doing what to who yeah that right thing. who's doing what you know what settings this per- person prefers and wait a minute you've had two persons you know in the cockpit of your vibrator and 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 their settings are what whoa their settings are more fun than the settings you let me use hmm. or Time logged, I imagine, would be a very simple. Oh, thing. yeah. There is nuance here. Right on the surface, I'm like, ah, seems yeah. fine. And immediately you found 10 things that are that could be a problem. You know? Well, the, the, point that I, the point that I'm trying to make here is that we've gone from a profession that, you know, used to make like brochureware for websites, uh, which was all well and good, to a profession that's now like you know dealing with how how do you how do you build uh, this this database for a smart vibrator how do you how do you make the it the more unhackable? powerful we make the web the more complicated this gets or more right it's responsibility it's, we have it's very personal now it's very intimate and we're i mean we're designing uh, uh logic for self-driving cars uh, i was talking to somebody at google the other day and Google actually has, like, they've amassed a giant team of ethicists to deal with the software of their self-driving cars. So they're thinking about this shit. That one seems slightly more obvious. Like, this is a big deal. We're dealing with cars. They're big, giant pieces of metal that we put people's body in. But maybe it's less obvious when they're like, I don't know, do you think we should support the geolocation API? Oh, yeah, it's really cool. We'll slap it in browsers. You know, like, ah, oh, maybe we should have them okay it. You know, I think that's like as deep as the ethics issue goes on something like that. Is your browser now knows where you are in the world as long as you hit okay. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. I just. I, I think the, the point that I'm trying to make is this this, this gets more and more complicated every year. Used to be like when I when I decided, hey, I want to be a web designer. I needed to learn. I need you know I needed to know how to use Photoshop. I needed to know how to code a little bit, and boom, I'm a web designer. Within three months, I was like a, a, a creative director somewhere at a startup. And you didn't even have to finish the Photoshop manual at that point. Because <laughs> that's, all, that's all we were making. We were making little brochureware sites. Right. And, and now shit has gotten complex. And our education of designers hasn't grown to meet the complexity of the things we're building. And that's a problem. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Rollbar. That's rollbar.com slash shop talk show. That's the URL you want to go to to get three months of their bootstrap plan for free. Rollbar is all about error tracking. It does an amazing job of that. So, you you know, it's really easy to integrate, too, and it integrates into any application, you know, JavaScript, which is Ember, Angular, Backbone, Node.js, or your Ruby stack with Rails, .NET, PHP, even Flash, iOS, anything. If they've got it all covered. You put it in there, it starts capturing the errors that your app throws, which it's definitely throwing some, believe me, uh, and lets you know about them. So not only so you need to know what these errors are in order to fix them, gives you the stack trace and all that, it groups them intelligently too. So if your app is like throwing like thousands of this one kind of error, but it's kind of minor, it's good to know. It's not. It's it's good to not get an email about the, every single time that error happens thousands of times. That's annoying. You know you need to fix it, but maybe it's lower priority than some other kind of bug and allows you to prioritize and that type of thing. It integrates with like Slack and... Jira tickets and all that type of stuff too so you kind of get to decide like okay put this type of error here or whatever it allows you to you know gives you the information you need to fix the errors that are happening in your app and prioritize them and know about them but not be too annoyed by them and stuff like that just a couple of lines of code to integrate into your app whatever that app is Oh, it's kind of amazing software. Thank you, Rollbar again the URL is rollbar.com slash shop talk show $87 value to sign up for their bootstrap plan for free. So when we talked about the, like the death thing, that's where we started, right? Like, does this put someone in danger kind of thing? That seems like we all can agree on that. I would think, I would think despite what, whatever our extreme differences are as human beings, that's any kind of technological, anything that can put people in actual danger 
um, is is bad, is breaking our constitution here. But we can't all agree on that because so Chris, me me and you are big fellas. Yeah. I I wouldn't think twice about getting in a stranger's car. Yeah, generally. Like <laughs> like call an Uber, call a Lyft, call whatever, call a cab even. We hop in, we assume that they're going to take us to where we told them to take us. We assume there isn't going to be an issue. So that seems like a no-brainer. But then I've talked to I talked to women who, you know, have told me amazingly horrible stories about, you know, the drivers have said to them, not just Uber drivers, but also, you know, cab drivers. And, but I mean, I mean the, the that they have to endure on one of these rides, you know, the, the snide comments, the, the judgment calls. So e- even, even the, does this put someone in danger thing? I have so many blind spots around that because I've never encountered them. I wouldn't think twice about getting in an in an elevator with just one other person. The, yet, like fifty percent of the population, when they get on an elevator and there's another person getting in, they have to evaluate whether you know is this person a creep. And that's what's what's complicated because maybe the designer of this elevator or whatever is some is some big white dude, and he's just like, and he he might even argue with you like elevator perfectly safe. I get him in all the time. Like, yeah, you didn't really think about all the use cases there. But, but so if, but maybe that person is really open minded, and they and they'd be like, I can see how this would put someone in danger. Now we're on the same page again, and we could realize that there's ethical differences. But I, I, so I wonder, what about the the subjective stuff that 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 I don't know sometimes can soil this a little bit. Like, let's say there's, you know, Dave, didn't you have one about? Um, you know, let's say you're just a part of a culture that doesn't drink or whatever. So, so maybe a design agency for you that is was willing to build a website for a brewery you'd consider unethical. Is that does, does that deserve a place at this table of ethical conversation? Yeah, I guess you know it's it's. I think people's kind of moral, uh, I guess lines fall at different places. You know, there is there, um, you know, so I know teetotaler people who would just think doing a brewery website would be like doing a cigarette ad, you know, over and over. Like that is like a, a fallout of society to them. And so it is, is some of this ethical ethics and design relative. Um, and, and then I, you know, I, I think of a, a situation from my own life. I, the, the website suicide girls, uh, reached out to my company of three men uh, to do their website. And, and we did, we passed, we just said, you know, we, I don't think we want to do uh, this website and, and suicide girls it, for don't, you don't have to go there, but it, it's sort of a, it's tattooed women who are kind of pinup models, but I think there are uh, more pornographic images, but we just, we just decided, no, I don't think this is like something we want to get into and stare at every day for like 10 months or right. something. Um, but like where, so where, I guess, you know, there's a little bit of moral relativism, but like where, how do you navigate that? Um, or do you just kind of stick to your ethical code or is there, I guess, is there like the do not cause death is a great universal ethical code, but is there like your, your local ethical code that you have to navigate? So, so I mean, absolutely. So my, my moral code is very different from my ethical code and also nothing will kill a conversation about ethics quicker than bringing up morals. Okay. That's a good, that's a good like separation. So like morally you might have an issue with suicide girls. Other people don't. And that's totally fine. Ethically, Robin, you want to tackle this one? Because I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid. So let me tackle this in the sense of like how I kind of deal with it, which is this idea of a micro versus a macro. Uh, I think like when you have those conversations about suicide girls in your head, you can have your own micro thought on like why you think, you know, having a, this body of work in your portfolio makes uh, you feel weird or like why you're like afraid of like, you know, what your friends and family might think about you designing a website for suicide girls. Right. Um, but like ethically speaking, like there's this concept of a whole bunch of women who are like actually just trying to get paid and you're helping them get paid. 
Um, and I think that is like such a crucial and important thing to consider in the conversation. But I think as you work through these things, like designers sometimes, uh, actually frequently put on like this subjective lens, right. Where like they think to themselves like, Oh, well, suicide girls, I'm not sure I can take that on. They sit and they stew with it in their head for like a few days on end. Then they come up with a resolution. They're like, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this. What they don't do is talk to a hundred different people from a hundred different points of life or whether they would take on suicide girls ethically and then make a decision based on what they think about what they could put in the world. So it's this balance of like figuring out the subjective versus the objective on whether or not something in the world is going to hurt or help somebody and how you balance that through the design process. There, so there was, uh, there was a strip joint here in San Francisco that closed down recently. God, I forget what the name of it, but it was, it was run by the women who performed there and they were unionized. And if they had come to me to, to, to design their website, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, I I don't think there's anything wrong with with what they were doing. I th- I think it was great that they were in charge of their own destiny. I think it was great that they were unionized. Like I'm a sucker for unions. Uh, but if like if like the Hustler Club came to me, I I wouldn't touch it. Is that ethics? Is that morals? I don't know. It might be like just doing it or not is one question. But then what you do on the site, there's is becomes questions too you know do you certainly you wouldn't put all the people who work there's home phone number on it you know not that 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 would ever be questioned but that becomes a thing too yeah absolutely but i mean so i i i want to i want to circle back to something that i want to make sure that we touch on on this show Mm -hmm. um and that's when you know when i start talking to designers about ethics everybody or not everybody but but I, I get a lot of, I'm not going to go work at a nonprofit, dude. Yeah, like you got it. I, I'm not going to go all in on this. Right. Can't, yeah. And the point of that, that first article that, that uh, uh, ethics can't be a side hustle that you mentioned was that the, behaving ethically as a designer is, is important no matter where you work. And your, your ethical work needs to start right now in your current job and every every possible like every place that you might work there's a possibility for work to be done unethically and there's also a possibility for work to be done ethically i'm not telling you to quit amazon and go work at the red cross holy we need people to be thinking ethically while they're working at places like amazon while they're working at places like facebook I, I would say that it's 5,000 times more crucial that people working at places like that have a strong ethical code. What about the people who are working at Uber? Doesn't that get tricky? Because you're like, oh, God, everything they do is awful lately, it seems like. Is it your ethical responsibility to leave? Or is it your ethical responsibility to stay and fix it? Is it, your, is it not your problem because it's such a big company and such a nuanced thing that maybe you can just ignore it <laughs> you can't ignore it you can't ignore it that's a fantastic question i'm glad you brought it up i think there's this idea that i can go in and change things from the inside is is charming and in some cases might actually be true um like if if i if i were to go work at uh, uh let's say if i went to work at twitter tomorrow and let's say that i wanted to go work at trust and safety which is if i were going to go work at twitter that's where i'd want to work can I fix their trust and safety issues? Like before I took that job, I would have to, I would have to ask them, is this something that you're really interested in solving? How do you want to solve it? And how do we make sure we don't repeat the mistakes of the past? And if I saw that they were actually interested in solving those issues, like I wouldn't know how to solve them yet, not on my first day, but you got to ask yourself whether the company is serious about changing this And if they are, then sure, go for it. And then you get to a company like Uber. Maybe a few years ago, I would have said, sure, it might be possible to go into Uber and, you know, fix them, give them some sort of ethical core. But at, at this point, I don't think you can. 
So once you're once you're working somewhere and you realize these people have absolutely no desire to do this work ethically, they have no desire not to provide a, a, a just, reasonable, equal service to all of the people they're providing this service for, then you got to get out. And that's complex too. I mean, I think... Um so I just uh, wrote something on Mike about Uber, uh, specifically about how they should get pronouns into their app. Um, and I definitely had some people in various spots of tech send me notes being like, yeah, my company could be more ethical. And I'm really frustrated by how much bad PR that they're getting for their bad decisions. But I'm really afraid because this company allows me to um, get paid and have health insurance and prior to being at this company, I was interviewing and a bunch of companies didn't want me because I looked like X or I thought about things in X way. Yeah. Um, so like, that's a real thing to take into consideration too. But one of the things that Mike wrote in the uh, post about ethics that he put out the other day, which I thought was really important is this idea of setting a time limit for yourself. Like if, if those, if those things are happening in like the, the world around you and the jobs that you're working at, like to get past the mental roadblock of another company will value your work is really important thing to consider. So set that time limit for yourself. Say like, go home and be like, this is really horrible right now. I'm giving myself a month, two months, three weeks where like, I will go in, I will get paid. I will do the work. I will protect my own. I'm going to push for as much ethical um, boundaries as I can, but ultimately I'm looking to leave right now and I need to get past them into a roadblock that allows me to do this. Like that's a really important thing to consider. It seems like fantastic advice is it doesn't mean you have to leave right now. I mean, obviously you have, there's life needs in the way, but you should, uh, the, the timer is great. Yeah. That's yeah. Th that's very realistic advice. And similarly too, like, you know, I think uh, for designers who may be already in companies right now, and I think, you know, for the reality, every time I've talked to anybody in leadership and design, they're really not listening to podcasts. The people who are junior designers are like listening to a lot of podcasts. And for those people specifically, like they might already be at a company and they're like, well, how do I carve out a space to be an ethical designer here? And like an important thing to consider is just like start with the small stuff and push yourself forward and like figure out like how big of a change you can make, right? Like if you're uh, in a room and somebody's talking about like, how to figure out like which people that they want to bring into a usability test. And they, if you see something wrong with the grammar that they're using to bring somebody in, make that small change there. And if it goes over well, keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until you hit those really big product decisions with VPs. Um, so you just start to carve out that space for yourself. Yeah. One thing that's fantastic advice. And, you know, I want, I want to, I want to leave this show by also giving some advice. Uh, if, I mean, ask why, Ask why constantly when you're given work to do, when you're told to do something, ask why. Make, have right. your manager explain why they're asking for this thing, what they're hoping to accomplish with it. I mean, that's, I, I'm always amazed at how many, you know, designers are told to do something and then they do it. They roll their eyes, they do it, but they never ask why. What would be a red flag with an answer from why? Okay. Because, because I told you to? Yeah. I mean, I'm out the door. If I hear something like that. So, but, 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 but that's an extreme. More likely than not, what you're doing is you're kickstarting a conversation that, that the people who thought of this project possibly didn't even have. And that's how you're showing these people the value that you bring to this process. So, hey, do this. Why? Oh, because we think it's going to, you know, help with customer retention. And then you mull that over and then you think, huh, does it really help with that? Maybe I know a better way to help with that. Have we also thought about this and this? But that may help here, but it's also going to hurt here. That's the, that's the mindset that designers need to have is, you, you, is not, not I'm going to do what you told me to do, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm, but figure out what the reasons behind that, that, that request were and figure out are the reasons behind that request ethical are the reason are are there ethical blind spots that nobody's considering here and this is why i think it's so important that you're you have a, as diverse a team as you can possibly have when when 
when designing this so that you have people with all manner of points of view, all manner of experiences, kicking the tires on this work and coming at it from, you know, things that you wouldn't have ever thought of and people filling in each other's blind spots. And it, in the end, it helps you to make better products. Totally. And that's, that's what we're after here. We're, we're after better products that help the majority of people don't hurt people. And I, and, and I, you know, this is, this will also help you make money. It'll make every single bit of your product a lot stronger. And I think, uh, sort of hammer home that last piece about having diverse people in the room. It's so great that like, if you're a company, you just hire like a few people that don't look like you. That's fantastic. But it means nothing unless you actually listen to what they say and value what they say. If you just put in like a diverse person and you like throw them as like your puppet for diversity across your company, like that doesn't do like you really need to make sure that you're actually listening and understanding to like the value that they're bringing to the table. Um, so it, it's really important if you, if you have those people to listen to what they're saying and understand that what they're talking about comes from a lived experience that you don't have. And that opinion in that moment is a lot more valuable than yours, regardless of however hierarchy they sit in the company. Or not. Yeah. And the, uh, the kicker on all this is that you make more money when you do it right. That's a big incentive. I, I like driving that home a little bit because people act on, upon incentives and if the incentive is there they'll do it yeah i mean i mean what 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 percentage of the economy is driven by purchases that women make half more i don't know at at least half so why the hell would you not make a product that's been road tested and designed and built with by women for women in mind just just to give one example I mean, why would you leave 50% of your possible revenue just sitting there because you hadn't considered half of your audience? That's just stupid. Women don't buy motorcycles. <laughs> I don't <know>. Bullshit. <laughs> just giving you some fodder. And the women who buy motorcycles are the women I'd like to meet. <laughs> Okay, that was a, I, I have I have I have little <laughs> dumb things to say, and I'm not going to say them because I think that's a nice place to to wrap up. What do you say, Dave? <laughs> that was beautiful, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, I think uh, Chris, we should probably wrap it up here. Uh, thank you all so much for coming on the show. For people who aren't following you and giving you money, uh, how can they do that? We'll start with Mike. They can find me at MuleDesign.com where they can hire me for all sorts of things from projects to workshops to have me come and give a talk at your company or at your conference. They can follow me at Twitter at, uh, at Montero, M-O-N-T-E-I-R-O. Uh, don't bother with Facebook because it's a gun marketplace. You won't find me there. <laughs> uh, that's about it. All right. And then Robin, how can people find and follow you and give you money? Uh, so uh, similarly, Twitter is where I live. It's just Robin Kanner, R-O-B-Y-N-K-A-N-N-E-R. Um, I speak at conferences like Mike and write things on the internet. Um, if you want to give me money, that's cool. If you also just want to give money to organizations that I think are really valuable, that's great too. Um, organizations like the Trans Lifeline, Every Town, ACLU, Planned Parenthood, in any sort of local org that's doing really good work. Um, if you're thinking about just giving me money, just give it to them. Yeah, amen to that. If you enjoyed this podcast and you can drop a few nickels to the ACLU or the Trevor Project, we would be thrilled. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, uh, for downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Tweet about it on Twitter. Uh, mention us at Shop Talk Show. Follow us. Uh, that helps, too. Hey, Shop Talk Show listeners. Is anybody out there looking for a job? I definitely bet some of you are. And even if you're not, it's always kind of good to have your eye open. Here's a heck of a job. It's at a place called Datadog. The website is datadoghq.com. I bet a lot of you have heard of them. If you haven't, you probably will soon because it's a pretty hot startup. It's a cloud monitoring tool. And as a matter of fact, we switched to Datadog at CodePen and using for all our stuff. We just had a discussion about it because our DevOps person is all about Datadog, loving it. It's a pretty cool product. So, so they're looking for a front-end developer in New York City. As they say, we're a fast-moving 
small, drama-free team working from a bright office with floor-to-ceiling windows and 360-degree views of Manhattan. Oh, isn't that nice? It makes me feel like in another world, Chris, I'd be, a, I'd be an urbanite in, in New York City doing this stuff. Alas, it's not for me, but it could be for you. That's good news, yeah? They, you know, they have a really nice, simple job posting here that's like, you build great modern web pages with HTML, SCSS, and JavaScript. You're fanatical about details like code style, rendering, and speed. Really cool. It's just simple. I like how they leave it open-ending. This could be for you. Apply for it. The, the link to the job posting is in our show notes. Otherwise, go check out datadoghq.com. Thanks. <laughs> well, Chris, you got anything else there? Topdogshow.com.